He's a two-time FLW Tour winner, has an incredible YouTube following, and in just a few short hours, will kick off his second run at a Bassmaster Elite Series career. This week, Bradley Hallman joins me on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all, friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. want to welcome in all our humpers that tune in week after week. Happy hump day to all of you. And um, it's a pretty special week, to be honest. Um, I've been doing a lot of celebrating. Uh, actually, a, a little too much definitely too much celebrating um and and for those of you that are regular listeners you know what i'm celebrating but i'm not going to talk about that because there is a group of people that get their knickers in a knot when i talk about football on a fishing podcast so i'm going to talk about that at the very end so that nobody has to get upset but uh so if you want to hear what i have to say about the mighty kansas city chiefs in the super bowl that was final segment of the show i mean i'll 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 calm down about it until then. Um, but this is a huge week in the sport of fishing. This is, as we record this, or as you watch this, February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day, but also the day before the Elite Series kicks off on Lake Okeechobee. So the Elite Series will be back in your life as of tomorrow morning, and... Um, I'm always looking forward to the kickoff of the Elite Series, and Okeechobee is one of those special bodies of water. Um, but it's always cool to get everyone back together to finally kick off the season um, and and meet all the new rookies and stuff like that. It's just a, it's a, it's a cool time of year, so I'm looking forward to that, um, and I hope you guys are too. Another huge announcement that happened this week, my dear dear friend and idol. KVD, Kevin Van Dam, announced at the end of this season he is leaving competitive fishing. He's retiring. And um, I can't stress how amazing what KVD has done in his career. Literally, he changed the sport on the water, off the water, in the boardroom. In the trade shows, just in every single facet not only does he dominate every category of records, but he also changed the way professional anglers do business, the way professional anglers are looked at. KVD, I mean, there's just not enough good things you can say. And and it's weird, I mean, because I was lucky enough, Kevin called me before the announcement came out. And uh, Kevin and Sherry, his wife, called me, and and it was the most awkward, I'll be honest, the most awkward conversation I've ever had with them because I just kept saying, wow. <laughs> like, I, and I, I don't know why. Like, I mean, I wasn't shocked that the announcement came. I mean, I knew that Kevin had always said, I, I'm not going to fish late into my career. Um, so I wasn't shocked but it's just like you're shocked that that day is coming. And um, it was an honor to get the call. But I, I just feel like I was ill-prepared. I mean, I was. I, it, it was Monday morning. I was recovering from 
winning something I had nothing to do about with. I mean, I never got more congratulation messages from people. Congrats. The Chiefs don't even know who I am. But so they're, they called me and um, we had a nice little chat. But I just, I feel awkward because all I just kept saying was, wow. And um, the mark that he's left on this industry is amazing. He's not going to go anywhere. You're going to see probably more of him online, on TV, everywhere. But he's not going to be competing anymore. And just to think that is, is again, wow. It's just shocking. But um, me and Kevin have already talked about doing another show together. We're going to do another podcast here coming up. So we'll get uh, deep into his decision and what drove him this way and, and what his future is. And, um, and I'll ask some awkwardly honest questions like I always do. But um, most of all, congratulations, Kevin, Sherry, Jackson, Nicholas. You guys have given so much to this industry and um, if anybody deserves a retirement, it's you. So thank you for everything that you have done. Um, and hopefully by the time we do the podcast, I'll have collected more thoughts, more legible thoughts. I just feel like there's so much you want to say about him. Um, it's like it gets bottlenecked in your brain. It comes, and, you, and then you're like, it's just too much. It's like when the when you're trying to chug a beer and it can't get out the hole, I guess. I don't know. Um, this is also, like I said, the kickoff of the Bassmaster Elite Series. And this week's guest um, is not somebody that I know very well. And that's rare. Most of the time when somebody's on this show, it's somebody who I, I know really well. Uh, we know of each other. and But we, we have not spent a lot of time together over the years. Um, that's about to change. Because this week's guest, Bradley Hallman, is now an Elite Series Pro once again. And if you are one of those people out there that, you know, has tried to chase a dream in your life, took your shot, and maybe didn't work out, and you think, uh, that's never going to happen again. Bradley Hallman was one of those guys. He literally talks about in this show that at one point he thought tournament fishing stole his soul. But through the support of his family and through incredible determination, he got back into tournament fishing. He got started fishing the FLW Tour, won a couple of FLW Tour events. Actually, the kicker is the first FLW Tour event he won was on Lake Okeechobee where he's kicking off the second run at his Bassmaster Elite Series career. He is rejuvenated. He is revitalized. He spent three years fishing the Opens to get here. And um, I have a feeling that Bradley Holman is going to make his mark on the Bassmaster Elite Series. Now, I will tell you, this was recorded previous to last weekend. So um, I, I'm sorry. I had to pre-record this because I'm in Florida, okay? I'd love to be with you guys, but it's just easier if we can get this recorded so you guys have got a show. I mean, I'm never going to leave you in the lurch. Um, but I guess I should just bring in our guest. And before we go any further, the one and only two-time Bassmaster Elite Series qualifier, two-time FLW Tour winner, Bradley Hallman. Bradley Hallman, as we record this, or as this is being aired, it is the eve of your return to the Bassmaster Elite Series. How does, what does that feel like? 
dude, I'm excited to be back. Like I've told some people, you know, it, it'll somewhat be kind of like a reunion because there's so many guys there that I'm friends with, um, where I started my professional fishing career. And, uh, you know, th there's a lot of new faces as well. So there's a lot of people there that I don't know. Um, but a lot of the guys I do know and whether I fished with them before at the other tours or, or here, um, I'm, I'm excited about it. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a few group of guys through the years that, that I hadn't actually fished against, like, um, whether I was at Bass and they were at FLW or yeah. while I was at FLW, I was at Bass. And, uh, one of those in particular that I'm really looking forward to being able to fish with is Jason, because we, we grew up here in Oklahoma together, you know, fishing against each other when we were young and, we've really never been on the same tour at the same time. When I was at Bass, he was over there. And then when I was over there, he was at Bass. And so that'll be pretty cool. Um, like I said, there's a handful of guys like that. And so I'm looking forward to that part for sure. Can you help his relationship with Panger? I mean, I think Christie's fine, but, yeah. but there's Panger's not scared of anybody more than Jason Christie on earth. But at the same time, he's not just scared, but he it's his hero too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any fixing this Dave. <laughs> no my first no. question is to you though you got a lot going right in your career from the outside right now when i look at it i mean i think you've cracked the youtube code and found a way that it works for you um your relationship with btl works for you like there's a lot going right what is driving you to return to the elite series you know, the other day when you called me to ask me to be on the show, you kind of scared me a little bit. And I actually thought a lot about what you said. You said, why, why would you want to go mess up a good thing? <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm not thinking that five years from now, man, Mercer was right. Uh, man, I, I've always been a tournament fisherman. I mean, that's what I am at heart. And, you know, um, derbies are derbies and I want to fish against the best competition, whether it was here in Oklahoma, even though I lived three hours away from Grand Lake when I was young, that's where most of the money and the competition went down in this state. So that's the pond that I spent the most time on and 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 learned to compete on. Um, you know, I I just I like um, chasing big things, and I've had a lot of kicks in the gut along the way. My road's definitely been a hard road. It's not been. Um, Nothing like Jason Christie's, for example. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not one of those guys, and I know I'm not, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm far enough along in my career. I'm not pretending that that I'm going to come on and, and be uh, Polinick or someone like that. But I have been fortunate enough through time that, you know, the sun does shine on me from time to time, and when it shines, it shines pretty bright. And those are enough to get me through. Um, I enjoy the day-to-day. You know, I enjoy the camaraderie with the guys. I enjoy the competition. I really enjoy the time on the water. I enjoy the travel. I enjoy driving. Even after all these years, I now I won't say that I enjoy seeing I-40 in Arkansas because I've seen I-40 <laughs> through Arkansas so many times. I'm a little sick of seeing that part. But once I get to Memphis, I don't care if we go north or south. It becomes interesting again. So it's a lifestyle that you, yeah. you're – I mean, sure, you want trophies, but ultimately it's the lifestyle you're chasing. Yeah. Um. It's what I've always wanted to do. I mean, just like all these guys that you've had on. And when I was young, I remember watching Bassmaster and Bob Cobb. And uh, it was on Sunday mornings at the time on TNN. That's how old I am. Yeah. TNN. And, uh, yeah, it was on after church. And I, I loved watching it and dreamed about it. Um, you know, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to make that a reality one way or another. And it hasn't always been easy. But, uh, yeah. How old were you when, when you think back to – 
watching Bob Cobb and, and Bob Ray, all of those, that that's what makes bass so strong. I think it's literally, the, it's not that the dream that is today, it's the dream that was planted in all of us, myself included when we were kids sitting mm -hmm. on our knees in front of a TV, looking up at this unbelievable world to us. Uh, how old do you remember being when the dream started for you? I had to be around 10 or 11. I'm just looking at my kids and how old they are and what grade they're in. Cause I know I was in that fourth, fifth grade range, maybe up and then was really into it by sixth grade. So um, yeah, I would say nine or 10 years old. Do you have like tournaments that stand out to you that, I mean, this was the one that hooked me. No, um, I, I don't have that. My, my dad, I grew up, so I, I kind of grew up in two different places. I had divorced parents and my my dad lived in East Tennessee and that's actually where I was born. And it's actually where I graduated high school, but my mom lived in, in Norman, Oklahoma. And so I, I, I kind of went back and forth. And so I kind of had two childhoods in a way, if that makes sense. And East Tennessee was right on Watts bar and, and my dad liked to fish and obviously got me into it. Um, but he was not a tournament fisherman. He, he, you know, it was anytime he was off work, we went fishing for whatever would bite and most everything got a fillet and I filleted to it if it was very <laughs> substantial at all. Um, but when I was 18, I came out here actually to Oklahoma to visit my mom and I took a summer job uh, for, with this plumbing company down in Goldsby, Oklahoma. And I swear to God, it was a summer job. That's all I was doing. And I left 13 years later. But uh, wow. th that group of men were tournament fishermen. And so that all started for me once I came to Oklahoma. So all of my tournament fishing and everything that I learned about truly bass fishing came from Oklahoma. When did, in your mind, did the dream of like, man, I'd like to do this for a living, no matter how far fetched, was that when you were a kid or is it as you got started getting a little older? Dude, I remember this is, this is crazy. I had this picture of Bill Dance that I'd cut out and I put in this frame that would like, it was kind of a curved frame. I mean, it was, it was only about, I mean, it was a big frame, but it would sit by my bed. And uh, that was in that, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I remember in high school, uh, starting my freshman year, whoever my favorite teacher was, usually a female, um, I would talk to her. I'd be like, hey, won't you put Bill on your desk this year? He, you know, he's good luck. And, and, and they would let me. And it was always, I remember it was my English teacher as a freshman and it was my English teacher as a senior. And I had Bill Dance sitting on her desk the entire year. But so, I, you know, I, I probably thought about it, but I didn't know the reality. And like I say, I didn't fish tournaments. I had no clue how to, how to even start that or where that, what that looked like or, or anything. And then I started going to school at the University of Oklahoma and was fishing um, and working. And um, I don't know, somewhere around, 19 or 20 within a couple of years of being in Oklahoma, we went to, you remember how big the tackle shows used to be, right? Yeah. In February. Chuck justice and a bunch of Oklahoma guys that are guides here in the state. They were, they were up on the big tank, you know, flipping and talking. And, and I remember coming home and telling my roommate at 20 years old saying, dude, I know what the hell I want to do the rest of my life. And I'm serious. Like, that's it. That's what I want to do. And I, I, I didn't mean the talking part. I just wanted to be involved in the industry and the fishing part. And, and I knew that at a young age, um, you know, I say 20 is a young age guy. We got guys on the elite series that young now, but it wasn't that way back in the nineties. <laughs> no, no. How, from an outsider's perspective, and I probably should be asking you this in, you know, a month or two from now, how different do you think the elite series is now to when you left in, in 2011? 
Well, it's going to be a lot different. I know that. Um, the overall age is much younger than it was uh, when I came in 2006 and left in 11. Um, I know a lot of those guys, though, a lot of those young guys that came, you know, they, they were over at FLW with me. So all the Johnston brothers, Gussie, uh, all your Canadian brethren, um, I know all them. Um, I've competed against them. I'm friends with them. Uh, you know, like I said, the thing right now that's really got my head spinning the most is the same thing that's got most of the guys that are on the Elite Series head spinning that's my, in my same generation in its live scope, right? I'm not going to lie about that. Um, it's almost like if you're over 30, you can't be good at it. You know, well, I should say 30, but definitely if you're over 40, you can't be good at it. And, uh, you know, that, that part's going to be different because I know how that's going to play out this year. It's going to be, you know, we're going to go to tournaments. Y'all are going to be like, Oh my God, you're not going to believe this, but the top three are all eyes scoping and y'all are going to be like, how, you know, it's going to be a place where we're not expecting it, but um, I know that's coming. Do you think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about live scope? You know, people think we can schedule around live scope, but the more, you know, you can't tiger proof a lake like they did in the PGA. It, mm -hmm. it, the more people, you know, they were using it in Florida last year. I mean, it, yeah. like there's, it plays everywhere now, doesn't it? For the it most plays, part, it plays everywhere, and then it'll be conditional as well. So, like, if we go to Okeechobee and it gets cold, you're going to see it big time. You may see it if it's warm and nice, but um, you're going to see it if it gets cold. You're going to see it heavily. Obviously, it's a tool. Obviously, it's something that you're going to use. But overall, what is your take on it? You know what what what's the long term effect on on tournaments and the fisheries in general? Well, I've been with Garmin for quite a while now, a long time. So I've had it since at first, you know, since we were able to get it. And with bio, not Biosonics, the, uh, what was the first one called? I always forget. Panoptics. Panoptics. And, uh, you know, I was kind of slow to it, like a lot of guys were. Um, I'd had some conversations with some good friends of mine that had won big tournaments with it. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, hmm. And they were like, you know, keeping it on the down low. And, uh, I got to where I, you know, I mean, to this day, I feel like I'm really, really good with it. The problem is, is that I have friends like John Sukup and I go get in the boat with him and it doesn't take me 10 minutes of being in the boat with him to realize, Hey, you're not as good as you thought you were, you know, <laughs> he is incredible with it. Like just mind blowing. I mean, if there's 10 levels to it, I'm on five or six and he's at 10. I mean, that's how the difference is. I mean, it is night and day. Um, so that part is a little bit intimidating. Um, what do I think it's going to do to change the sport? What I, what I think could change, and this is what I see right now with the guys that are really good with it. When we get on some of these lakes, a lot of times there's only two, has been in the past, three to four or five guys that are really all in on it. I think that that number, you're going to see that continue to go up. And once you start getting 50, 60, 70% of the field going all in on that at the beginning of practice, and that's their focus, then those fish start taking that pressure. And it's, listen, it's not just us. So that's what everybody always thinks. Yeah. They always think, well, it's just the tournament guys while they're there. No, 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 no. Sookup's a good example. He won the first MPFL of the year, the first MPFL that ever happened. He won it live scoping brush piles at Lake Ufala. When he left, guaranteed without a shadow of a doubt, there's a hundred guys that you follow that were like, 
we're some of the best fishermen on this lake and we're going to figure this out because I've never seen this done. And he just crushed them and they went and figured it out. So now these fish are getting daily educations on what that looks like to them. And so, you know, that combined with the fact that guys are just going to go all in on it all the time. I, the, the question that none of us know is, is what's, what's, where does it end? Like, is it going to be, you know, Okeechobee is a good example never really heard of anybody catching them out in the middle of that thing and it's massive and we all know they live out there is it going to get to where we can start catching them out in the very middle of something like that you know in open space why so, don't they catch them in the middle of that like like i've heard in the summer when it clears up you know you do get some out there but it just amazes me that it's so giant and there's never been anyone like i mean i'm sure some people have caught fish there but i've never We've, I've never, as long as I've been involved in bass, there's never been anyone that was anywhere near the top 10 and was out there. Well, when I say not out there, I mean, there's shoals and stuff out there that they catch yeah. them off of in the summertime, right? Um, but there's just so much water, dude. It goes forever and it's it's shallow enough that there could be fish throughout. So um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But they live out there. There's no doubt because they come to the bank in waves, you know, every spring. It's like a different wave comes in from the lake and, it's obvious that they're fresh fish. So when you say Sukup is that much better at it than you, what does he do better? What, like what makes him better at it than you? Well, Other than one, just the obvious num time. Number number one, he sees what you don't see. That's number one. They see what you don't see, and they see it a whole lot faster. Um, they see, uh, they just catch. It, it, it's the same thing as a trained eye of someone who's a really good sight fisherman. I mean, really good. And it's that trained eye of, you know, guys going down the bank and side fishing and they're looking for this fish. But, man, a lot of times that's not how it works. Sometimes it's just the nose of a fish sticking out from underneath the dock, just a little corner. It's all you catch. And you're like, ooh, if that was – that's a big one too. I know it is because, like, you only saw the beak, but it was a damn big beak. <laughs> um, or you just catch, you know, just a little end of the tail or maybe just a little dorsal fin. You just catch a glimpse of something to where you're like, hmm. And you come back and you're like, oh, see, and 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 most people miss that and they keep going. He's the same way with live scope. You know, he's fanning back and forth and I just keep fanning back and forth and I probably drive past 20 of them and he's, he's seeing all 20. He's seeing them instantly, you know, and then the rate at which they can tell what that is much faster. They know which bait to, to uh, present first. They've just spent a tremendous amount of time with it and their eyes are trained. And then that on top of the, I think the amount of water that they can cover efficiently fast with it. I think they can cover a lot more water than I can. Why, why do you think that, and I've wondered this for a long time and I, I've got different theories on why, and <clears throat> I think the technology got better, but it amazes me that it didn't take off. You know, Panoptics has been out for a while before mm -hmm. It really got hold. But why did it, why was it not instantly success? Was it be the best kept secret in fishing? I don't know that it was the best kept secret. Cause like I said, I had it on my boat, but now you're talking to a guy that carried a Cinco around for five years after it was invented before I ever threw it too. you know, when I, <laughs> once it came out, but, um, I think the guys just didn't see the power in it. The crappie guys were definitely the first ones to yeah. come on board. You know, they saw it and, uh, and that's what Sukup is, you know, he, he came from that, that side of the industry, but um, th they saw it first. And then I, I think that 
like when I started using it and was having success with it, it was just in local jackpots uh, here on Wednesday nights. Um, I would take it out to to Thunderbird and fish the Wednesday nighters with those guys. And I was just brush pile fishing with it. And it just allowed me to, you know, be able to, I could go out there on a Monday and, and just idle, mark everything with, with side imaging, come back on Wednesday night, not have fished any of it and just literally just pull up and, you know, first cast, first cast, first cast. But I wasn't, looking for the fish per se now i remember some of the nights we had good nights i would see those balls floating around them and be like dude we're probably gonna get bit here but i never saw the fish like go down into the pile and you know what i mean it wasn't like that but um there was definitely some guys that were on up there i'm not going to mention their names throwing anybody under the bus but there were some guys that had it had it figured out pretty quick so before we get into all this I'm horrible at this job. I probably should have kept on our trend when we were talking about. So 20 years old, you start fishing tournaments. How does your career, give me the Reader's Digest version of how your tournament career progresses to today. Dude, it's been the dirt road, really. <laughs> uh, it has been, you know, I mean, um, I qualify well. So it, it starts out at 20 and fishing uh, with the guys that I worked with, you know, in the, in the little club that they had. And they fished basically smaller lakes down central and southern Oklahoma. But like I told you, you know, the money and the best fishermen were up in northeastern Oklahoma at Grand. And that's where most of the tournaments were, the big tournaments. And so I started venturing off up there. And uh, I had met some people. My wife had an uncle that lived up there. And so in Grove and so basically I could live up there for free so I would spend it got to where I was spending three four days a week up there and trying to hold down a full-time job at home uh I would I'd come home and work Monday through Wednesday or Thursday and then go spend Thursday through or Friday through Sunday up there and we would just fish team tournaments and pro-ams and I mean we had central pro-ams we had BFLs we had man at that time we had we had all these team tournaments that would pay basically $20,000 or a boat every weekend, almost, wow. you know, once the spring started, because we had, we had three or four huge team trail circuits and these were four and 500 boat tournaments. And I've heard Jason talk about this a lot. It's like, it, it, it's kind of what taught him. He felt like to, to win because third and fourth place just didn't pay very good. I mean, you basically had to win and they were one day tournaments. So, you know, when you're fishing against 400 boats on Grand Lake, all them locals, you better catch them pretty darn good if you're going to have a shot to win. And uh, and I agree with that. But they paid out a lot of places too, and we just get checks every week, and that progressed, and you get better and better, you know, and you meet more and more people and become friends with a lot of the better fishermen locals there on the lake. And um, I don't know, somewhere in through there, I thought I wanted to fish the opens, and I had a pretty good base at home, you know. Wasn't like a Jason Christie base, but I was catching them pretty good, you know. I mean, I was cashing checks about anything that we fished here at the house in the state of Oklahoma. But uh, 05 fished my first year of the Opens, and then at the end of it, they they announced that they were going to do that Elite Series deal. Yeah. And so a bunch of the guys, like Larry Nixon and all that bunch, they were like, we're not paying $55,000 in inch fees. Y'all are crazy, you know. And so they all left and it left this big hole. And so while I didn't finish in the top five in the points in the opens that year, I was in the teens or I don't know, somewhere in there, you know, they worked down the list back in those days. It's not like now. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, I got in and uh, there wasn't, there wasn't the same knowledge publicly 
shared and thrown around and known back then like there is now. So like first time I went to Gunnersville was in May, first of May, and there's a shad spawn going on. Well, I know I'm getting bit on the river ledge, but I don't understand that it's a shad spawn. I mean, I, I don't know. I just know that if you throw a spinnerbait up there, you catch one. But uh, kind of behind the eight ball and that, the blueback herring deal. Oh, my God. We went to Clark's Hill. I had no idea what that was. Um, that was – by the time I left, I still didn't understand it. It was like it was like striper fishing to me almost, you know, the way that those fish related yeah. on the bluebacks. I, I joke around that it took me five years to learn how to spell blueback. That's probably true. <laughs> but the learning curve was was large, you know, needless to say. And I don't know, there was like 20 something people in my rookie class that year. There was a lot because there had been so many guys leave. Yeah. And uh, there was a hundred of us or 109 of us, I think something like that the first year. And I don't know, I finished in the top five in the, in the rookie of the year deal. We had Steve Kennedy in it, which was basically like, you know, having to fish against Van Dam as a rookie, that wasn't really fair, but that that's how it worked back then. And, yeah. Um. I think Kennedy won rookie of the year and I don't know. We'd have to go back and look at that list somewhere. Yeah, no, he did. I remember he won it that it's a cool list to go back and look at because there's 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 a couple of Bassmaster Classic champions in that that class. And there's 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 nine or ten of us still fishing. So it it was a good group of guys. So you go through your Elite Series career, and I mean you had some highlights, made some top Mm -hmm. tens, you know, Mm -hmm. but through the and it's funny because when we talked the other day you're like me and you passed like my first season on the yeah. elite series the mc was your last season mm-hmm. fishing the elite series so we didn't get to know each other at all like i mm-hmm. mean we probably have already talked now more between yeah. that phone call now than we did that entire yeah. season um yeah I, I was joking with you i said our minds were in two different places like by 2011, and this was for a lot of reasons, Mercer, and you'll, you'll get this. I've told this story a bunch, I feel like. But um, by, 2000, by 2011, I'd figured out I was never going to be Kevin Van Dam. Um, it was pretty obvious. The writing was on the wall. When I started in 2006, my wife and I just had one, one baby at the house, just been born. By 2011, I had three. Um, my father had passed away in 2009. Yeah, 2009. I fished pretty strong from 06 all the way through nine. And then, like I said, I lived in Oklahoma. We lived a thousand miles away. I mean, it wasn't like we were talked on the phone every day or anything like that, but dude, it had a, it had a big impact on my life. It had a big impact on my life, not only just me and him, but with my relationship with my children and sponsor money and all that. Like, I mean, I wasn't even making enough sponsor money to to pay even half of my entry fee. So I had to cash enough checks to be able to pay this bill that I was creating. Well, when you're putting that much work into doing that, like you're not going to, I couldn't come out in the positive hardly for the family, you know, and I've got a wife and three babies at home and this just, it wasn't working. And I was mad. I was mad. You know, when you, when you chase a dream and it doesn't work, you're, you can be very jaded about it. I was mad at bass. I was mad at people that worked at bass. I was mad at guys that I've competed against I was mad at the media guys. I was mad at everybody, but a lot of it was my own fault. And, but I kept all that internal. I I never, I never said anything to anybody. That's one thing I've tried to do my entire career. I don't burn bridges. Um, I just kept my mouth shut, put my head down. When I signed up for 2011, I was pretty well done whenever I paid my, my deposits. 
but I thought, no, we're going to give it one more try. And, you know, I'm going to finish the year no matter what. That's going to happen. But, dude, I remember in 2011 when you, your first year there, on day two, if I didn't have enough to get a check, I'd just throw them back. I mean, guys wow. don't do that on our level. No. They don't do that on this level. Um, I, I remember doing it to Lake Murray. I, I did it three times that year. I just throw them back like hell with it. I'm just ready to go home. I'll go load up my stuff. I want to be home. I remember having tournaments where I remember one tournament at Champlain I'd made the last day, the top 10. And I drove, they call boat numbers and I go out. I drive forever to this magic dock that I've got. And I, I caught the big bat. I mean, every big fish I basically had caught three days come off this dock. And I drive to this dock and uh, I get there and there's a family there husband and wife, grandparents, the kids, all the little kids, the Labradors. And it's not a very big dock. You know how stuff is up north. It's not like these giant marinas. Yeah. And they're throwing this this toy off the end of this dock and this Labrador's, you know, into the water. So you're like, well, hell, you know. I drove all this way and the dock's trash for the day. I don't even want to be here. Like, what am I doing here? I should be I should be doing what that guy's doing. I should be yeah. with my family at home. I should be having the picnic with, with you know, the in-laws and the outlaws. And, and this is stupid. You know, this is this. And so let me tell you, when your mind starts going down that road, your comp, your comp, your competing level is gone. It's out the window. Um, dude, I should have been happy and I was miserable. And, and I remember that. And I came home and I, I told my wife, I said, I'll never fish again. Like, I don't want to fish team stuff. I want to sell the boat, stall the tackle. I'm done. You know, I want to figure out something else to do in life, but this is not it. And she was like, pump the brake. She's like, look, I get it. it's a bit bad. She said, uh, park the truck and boat in the garage. Just shut the door. I don't care if you don't open it for two years, but don't, don't sell everything to shit. And that's basically what I did. I stuck it in the garage for a year or so. Never went. No, hell no. Had no interest in going. I started a bunch of house projects. Like I didn't even know what I was wanting to do the rest of my life. So I came home and I started, I'd built, she'd want a swimming pool. So I built a swimming pool. I had to have a new patio out back. So I was like, I'm going to build this huge outdoor kitchen. And then I want to build this hand laid sidewalk that comes from the driveway around. So dude, for six months, I mean, it's just me out there. And I, and I'm, I'm doing all this hand laid pavers, Stacking block, plumbing, kitchen, roof. I mean, bad to the bone stuff. And, uh, dude, I built an outdoor kitchen you don't see on five and eight million dollar homes. <laughs> um, granite countertops, you know, I mean, it was, it was bad to the bone. You turn on the music and there were some nights I found out there that by myself I'd made it too nice, but, uh, you enjoyed it a little too much. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was nice. But, uh, that's kind of how I got my soul back, you know, was just being by myself working. Nobody around, make my own mistakes, you know, just get my mind off of everything. And then uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jeff Miller, came to me and wanted to go have lunch, which wasn't uncommon. Jeff Miller has a son named Jared Miller. You remember Jared when of course, Jared was yeah. in the Elite Series? Yeah. This was about that time when Jared was on the Elite Series. And Jeff had been fishing with Jared, his son, forever, team tournaments. Well, now Jared's gone. And so he was like, I've got this company. You know, it's an oil and gas. We run title. It's a good gig. Da, 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 da. I've got these men in my office, been doing it 50 years. Come to work with me, for me, and they can train you. You know, you'll be an independent contractor. You want to fish, you'll have some freedoms. And he lured me back in slowly <laughs> and then got me to fish some team stuff with him. And 
it all kind of started building back up 13, 14. And by 15, I was like, I want to go back and try something. So that drive home from the last event, wherever it was, what did that feel like? Was that? It was the best damn drive I'd ever had in my life. That's what I wonder. Like, were you in it tears was. the whole way or were Hell you just no. like, freedom? Freedom. I'm done. <laughs> like, I, I'm. it's over. I've had enough of this. I mean, yeah. it, make it, it makes a lot more sense to me that we didn't talk that much. because I didn't talk now, to a soul. Like, and I, I show just, up and I'm like, hey, it's the elites. <laughs> yeah. We were in total opposite places. And I knew that, you know, and I respected, you know, like where you would be and where I would. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking to anybody. Zona had actually came to me at the Classic. Uh, maybe last year before last. I had done the MPFL uh, broadcast with uh they brought me in i filled in yeah. for, for dudley yeah and he he had a tournament and had overlap and they called me and were like you'd be interested in doing this and i was like yeah i can do that no problem so anyway after it was over it was like a week or two after it was classic and 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 zona came up to me and he was like dude i gotta apologize i was like what and he's like i didn't even know you could talk <laughs> and i was like well <laughs> that's not all exactly your fault you know so anyway you weren't the only one. So for a brief period of time, as you put it, tournament fishing stole your soul. Like yeah. it was that bad of an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Is Dude, that bring it, bring you to tears at night. It was bad. It was real bad. I remember we were at Toledo Bend in, in 11 and dude, I was, I, I had them like figured out. I thought, didn't go well. And my buddy Castledine, Todd, lives over at Rayburn, came over yeah. to check on me. And at the time I was I was doing the camper thing, you know, the truck camper. Cause I thought that might be better. You know, I tried that for the last couple of years and it was not a good deal for me. It lets my brain run. When that door closes, I do bad things to myself. <laughs> uh but Todd, I I'll never forget. Todd came in and he's like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like it's just depressing sitting around here with you. Like you, you gotta something's wrong with you. And, and he was right. It it was so bad that Rojas even told me later after the event that he was like, dude, he said, you were the one guy. He said, everywhere I had him in practice that I was worried about, you were always there. Always. He goes, I, I, I don't know how you didn't do better in the event. And I'm like, I know how I didn't do good in the event. But, like, I had it figured out, but then I didn't. I just couldn't keep it together. But, like I said, I had a lot going on. And, and I think those three babies at home really – changed my outlook on life and like i say it'd have been different if i'd have been edwin or kevin or, you know if i'd have been doing really well and was creating a, a surplus of income to where i could be like hey honey you need a new suburban we'll get it you know but that wasn't the case i felt like i was being a negative draw to my family and i needed to be there in a positive way not damn sure not a negative way so i i think that took its toll on me so how much of that pain that you went through at that time will drive you at this time or are the two totally disconnected? No. Uh, I would say that that's what drove me on my FLW push for sure. I mean, like my very first FLW tour tournament was on Okeechobee or, and my very first day I took the lead and then I led it for four days. Yeah. There was never a point like it was brought up. Hey, this is your first tournament. Well, 
yeah, it is, but it didn't. You know what I mean? That's how I felt inside. You know, I didn't say that publicly, but like this was nothing new for me. Um, I wanted to get it done. And and it was definitely a push, bent over, leftover frustration from the six years prior. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I say, it wasn't at anybody personally. It was just for me personally, like what what I could and couldn't achieve. Um, and it's always been this way for me. Like I, I wanted to sign, I, I just wanted to sign up to fish the FLW in 15. I wanted to fish in 15. And for the history of that place, they've always just let people in if you pay your money for the most part, especially a guy spent six years on the elite series, for God's sake. Bill Taylor. Well, now I, I'd love to have you, Brad, but uh um uh, boy what, what kind of boat are you running so well I'm, I'm with gary klaus over at phoenix well now um if you get a ranger I, I might be able to find you a spot and i'll never forget i was sitting in an airport in miami we were about to fly to Belize, to uh the amazon river brazil yeah. and tommy biffle and i are sitting side by side and bill taylor calls me and says now boy I'm sorry, but I, I just couldn't get you in. You're gonna you're gonna have to go through and qualify in 15 if you if you want to get in. And I'm thinking, I gotta go qualify again. I was like, I, I don't even know what is that what does that entail? And he said, Well, you, you'll you'll have to go fish our toy up coasters, whatever they were. Yeah. And, and you gotta finish in the top 10 and the points in the division. So that started the all right, let's prove them wrong deal. And so I fished two divisions that year. And 15, one, one up at Grand, finished second, another one. I was involved with all that four tournaments in a row for Ray Hanselman. Yeah, yep. I was at every single one of those events and took that ass kicking from him. Um, but needless to say, I'll never forget Texoma was the first one where it ended one of the divisions. And I was like fourth or fifth. And they send you that on a text, you know, it's like fifth place. And I took that text and screenshot it and I sent it straight to Bill Taylor. And I just said, I'll see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> so mad but anyway um that's kind of the dirt road like I, i've kind of had to do that and 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 i'm used to that and it's made me a better fisherman no doubt made me stronger and then the flw thing and dude i i really enjoyed it over there i know that's not your deal talk about it we're talking about a defunct, no no dude defunct tour here though right so yeah, dude, you can talk about it that's one of the weirdest things because people get on this podcast and they're like that other tour you can mlf flw it doesn't matter there you know what i mean that that's what got you here so yeah. don't don't ever feel like that when you're talking to me well it was a, it was a different environment you know like i knew it would be it, it was different than bass you know it wasn't the media monster that bass was and and quite frankly there wasn't the we didn't have all the egos per se and i'm not talking trash on anybody but it was a little less I don't even know how to explain that, but it was, it was a little more laid back. Yeah. And, uh, there's a better mixture of, of men there, right? There's, there's a lot of guys that just, you know, work for a living and we're paying inch fees and fishing tournaments and had been for 15, 20 years. Some of them. Yeah. So a lot of good people. There was a lot of good people at Bass too. I'm not saying that, but, um, it was a different environment and, and I enjoyed it and I liked it. It was a little more laid back. I could still work. I was still working full time for Miller for the first two years man 16 17 and 18 so for the first three years i was still working a full-time job for miller and uh, i think when i won my second one i think that's when i was kind of like all right you, you, you really think you might want to do this full-time again for a living because i think you know you might have you might be able to do this so i think that's when i really kind of started thinking 
harder about it and thinking about getting in the industry. Cause that's something that I really honestly kind of missed Dave was I, like I said, when I was 20, I went to that tackle show and I wanted to be involved in everything. I wanted to be involved with bait companies, sales guys, industry, like deep. And, and that really hadn't happened for me. Like I knew all the fishermen, you know, I was friends with all the best fishermen in the world. I stayed with them, ran around with them for years, but I wasn't involved in that marketing sponsorship. I mean, I had a few, but it wasn't much, you know? Yeah. And I didn't really have a platform for it, but somewhere around 18 is when I was like, okay, after I won that second one, like I've got a little platform here, you know? So, so let's try to work off this. And, and then things were still going good. And then I guess I was one of the ostriches that had my head in the sand, apparently. Um, Cause then it leads to my next crossroads where I'm on the dirt road. I didn't realize that, that FLW was in financial bad shape. And I, I didn't realize, and I should have known, I sh- there were signs. I should have known that things were going to change. Um, but, you know, the first group of guys leave, and then they do their invites, and they take 80 guys or whatever for their MLF. I wasn't included. I was never phone called. Dude, I've got buddy, some of my really good friends are owners in that deal. But I was never called or thought of. I, I don't know why. Um, does that does that bother you at the time a little it bit, should yeah. though yeah. i would imagine well yeah. i just i just looked at the, the, the group that's invited and i'm looking at my credentials for my career and i'm looking at other guys and i'm like you know i'm not saying that i'm one of the top but dude there's 20 guys there that i could definitely argue no problem you know 25 maybe yeah and i and i've always been good to everybody like i'm friends with everyone i've never had one confrontation on the water in my entire life like not one Wow. And all that fishing, I've never had a con- like a com- confrontation. I had Skeet jump on me one time, but it was his doing. It wasn't me. And that's, that's another story in itself. We could talk about that. I think it was strategy on his part. He ended up winning the tournament. I think he was just trying to find some more fish on day day three of the tournament. But um, And it worked because <laughs> I told him right where the school was. Uh, but um, I've never had one. And, and I've always been fair to everybody. But, yeah, it bothered me a little bit that, at the time, like I was okay with it because I thought I still had the FLW gig, right? Yeah. Fine. That's just that many more checks that left that are available if they leave. But then it all kind of came crashing down later that fall and they purchased. And then I had some decisions to make. And the other thing that had happened at the same time, a lot of the guys that were not picked by that group started politicking the other way. And I guarantee you, you were in on some of these meetings probably. No. <laughs> there was probably a list of anglers. Okay, well, who who could we possibly get if if if, if we invited them? Like, who would be worth taking, right? And it, there were guys picked that had never fished a bass event, that fished the Elite Series this day, that came in on an invitation. And my name was never in that list either. Never. Missed. And I knew from a fisherman standpoint that – not everybody at Bass understood who the fishermen were on the other side because there were guys like Brian Schmidt that weren't on that list. Yeah. And I knew how damn good he was. I mean, this guy's won more Toyotas or Costas than anyone on the planet. I mean, he is the bad man on the East Coast. Um, and he wasn't on that list. So I was like, they're looking at names and they're looking at, I don't know what all they're looking at, but that bothered me too, you know, like, when it all happened, it didn't bother me because I thought I had a place and spot. So, like, I wasn't sending emails or politicking. But, dude, I just got totally left out both sides. And 
I didn't really know what I was going to do. So then it was just kind of up to me. And so now I'm kind of back to the same road I was in when Bill Taylor calls me and says, well, now, boy, you're going to have to go qualify. So I, uh, I bounced some things around and decided where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. There was, there was a lot of reasons for me. You know, I kind of put it on a chalkboard, reasons to stay, reasons to leave. And for me at the time, I felt like that there was a lot of check marks on one side and the other, but one just outweighed the others. And the the biggest ones for me were like, I had I, I had won at every level at FLW, you know, other than yeah. winning a Forest Wood Cup. And I'd won BFLs, I'd won Coastas, I'd won Tours. And I hadn't won anything at Bass, nothing. Not an Open, not any Blue Trophies, and dang sure not Classics. So I have a hard time staying motivated the older I get, right? Like we're all guilty of that. We kind of get yeah. comfortable in what we're doing. And I, I felt like that, that that alone would probably motivate me and drive me to get up and work harder every day, right? And and that has. It's driven me all the way to this point. And believe me, it was a long, hard road to get to stand on that stage come Okeechobee. Yeah, it, it to me, it's that whole time, I think people – you know, it's easy for people in chat boards to throw things around about this guy or that. You know, that was one of the most emotionally draining times for everybody involved. And literally everyone was involved. You know what I mean? Whether, mm -hmm. whether they, you know, you're right. My phone, everybody's phone got real busy. All of a sudden there was a bunch of people, you know, calling and, and, but it was just like, nobody could feel like, even the staff. I mean, why do you think Bass came out firing so hard when they came back? Because a group of people publicly said that, you know what I mean? Like going into that season, it was like, these guys aren't going to catch any fish. No crowds yeah. are going to show up. Yeah. And, and, and that obviously is a fear for everybody, you know, yeah. but the, I think from negative stuff like that, there's so much positive. Mm -hmm. you're a prime example of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It sucks to have to go requalify after you've done all this stuff. But that being said, it made you the person that you are today. Um, and yeah, just, I, 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 I don't mean for it to sound like I'm crying at all. No, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just being honest with my feelings. Yeah. You know, when I just look at those and how that went down, it was over, you know, I'm like, why, why wasn't I included on that list? You know, why, why, why didn't somebody reach out to me? But I, maybe maybe they didn't reach out to anybody. Maybe it was all anglers reaching out on the other side, you know, and, and that very well may be. There was um, a lot of politicking. Like there was and, a, and like I did, the and squeaky, I did zero. The squeaky I'm, wheel got the grease. Yeah, and, and I'm not. And, a, I'm not a politician. And I'll be honest, that list, those ten anglers that got that opportunity, I don't think it was ever on like standings. They've won this, this, and this. It was kind of just like, I think younger guys had an advantage on it. You know what I mean? Like, because mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest. Futures. Yeah. Yeah. Bright futures. No, I, I realize all that. And I, and I thought about all that and I thought they were all fair. I didn't think any of them were unjust. I didn't, I didn't think that at all. I was just like, hell, I spent six years on the elite yeah. series there. And I, you know, I've done some stuff here. What, why am I not included on this? But um, at the time when it all went down, I don't know if I wouldn't have said no, because I, I kind of forget exactly how that time frame was, but that was before the purchase. You yeah. see what I'm saying? And I, I, I was totally had my head in the sand that that was going to happen. Like I thought everything was going to stay status quo. It was um, at least a full season before the purchase, because right. I remember for a long time, there was, you know, FLW's not going to be touched. Like I remember yeah. at one, there was a brief moment in time where people were like, 
Whew, thank God I'm FLW because I'm not involved in any of this crap. Right, right. But um, yeah, like I said at the end of that, I had to make some had to make some choices, and I, I reached out to. I, I learned pretty quick. I mean, by that time, I'm over 40 years old, so I'm like, I'm not talking to any anglers about this. I I, I sit and thought because I went out and fished the. Uh, I'll never forget this. I went out and fished the U.S. Open, something I've always wanted to try to win. Um, I fished it twice now, and, and I really enjoy that event out there. Uh, we was, I was coming back from Lake Mead and I got this really long drive back to Oklahoma and, uh, all this has happened. Um, Mike McClellan and I were actually rooming together out there, you know, and he, he's an owner of MLF. And so I've had it in my ear all week, you know, you need to, you, everybody's different opinions. And I'm yeah. like, I'm cutting myself away from all the fishermen, no matter how good of friends of mine they are. And I'm, I'm going to, I got to make a list of people that I can talk to. So I did, I, I, I thought of three people inside the industry. Um, one was a business owner at Falcon, John Beckwith. Um, one was Mike Bowster, who owns a sales group. Yeah. And there was one more. I don't know. But anyway, all three of them. Uh, oh, Russell Cecil. How could I forget that? Also okay. owns a sales group down in Texas. Yeah. Um, very connected to the industry, right? These are, these are all big ICAST guys. Um, I, I need to know what direction I need to go what do I need to do? And they were, I was like, they were all, you know, bass, you need, you need to go to the opens and that's where you need to head. And these are why, what we see and why we think that. And dude, to this day, I owe three of those men. I thank you because, you know, they, they gave me the confidence to, to move on. And, and Valster, for example, was, you know, he tied into big bite and a lot of companies that I worked with. And, and he told me, he promised me, he said, you know, get in there and get out, but I'll, you know, We'll keep paying you. So wonderful. Super excited to have the opportunity. Now, at the end of this year, I guarantee you, if I had to make it, it'd have probably been off with my head, but and I and I wouldn't blame them. But uh it was a struggle. And I knew it was going to be. I knew the opens what they were, Dave. I did. I'd fished enough tournaments. I knew what that was going to be. And I knew that I was not a very good points angler, which is a very scary thing. Did you have to change the way you fished at all to to yeah. Yeah. Become it a took, better points angler to, yeah. to do what you're doing now. Yeah, it took me three years to figure it out. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think I finished, what, seventh or something like that in the overall and first in the points in the central. So, yeah, I figured it out. But it took me three damn years to figure it out. Yeah. I remember starting the beginning of this year in Florida, and I had horrendous, horrendous practice at Toho. Hadn't caught anything. I tried. I'd, I'd push the envelope like every place I know on Kissimmee and – that they're going to come and spawn first. And by the end of it, I remember I told Andrew Upshaw, he and I were in the hotel room together. And I was like, dude, tomorrow morning, I'm going up there and they're going to call my boat number and I'm dropping my trolling motor. And I'm I'm not leaving that little hole up there at the North end, like somewhere in that North end, I'm not going South of those Island, not a Island. I'm staying in that North end and I'm going to fish whatever's in front of me and looks productive because I've had, I, I can't keep forcing the issue the way I want to. I just need to get bites. Cause like 60th place sounds phenomenal to start the year and that's exactly what happened but i salvaged it and now you get to kick off your elite series career on a body of water that you won your first flw event mm -hmm. that's gotta have i mean uh, to me like if i'm writing a movie that's oh, where yeah. you go that's where it happens yeah. god can you imagine if lightning could strike twice because i mean that's really the reality of what would have yeah. to happen but Man, wouldn't that be a good story? First, first one back. Yeah, on the same lake. First one then, first one now. Dude, it wasn't even that long ago. That was in 16. Yeah. Um, that'd be awesome. 
That'd be great. I don't expect that to happen, but I would love for that to happen. Wouldn't we all? Yeah. And I, Wendell may choke me if that happens. He, he literally may get on stage and choke me if that happens. <laughs> Why do you think Swindle hasn't won? I have no idea. It's there, there's, I mean, the only thing I can come up with, and I've said this several times, I just think that in some weird way for Gerald Swindle to be the person that he is in this industry, to be the PMA guy, you know, to, to promote positive mental, it's stronger. His message is stronger because of his hurdles. Just like mm -hmm. I feel like, to me, that's the most important thing about fishing. That's why everyone was so excited to see Christy win, because we got to see him lose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I think that's why everyone will be so excited when you win because of stories like you've just told me, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there were so many, you hit so many forks in the road. At some points there must've been voices in your head screaming, like get off the freaking roads. <laughs> I've, I've had them many times. I've had them many, many times, but dude, I just, I, you know, I'm like everybody else. I'm, I made up with it. It's in my soul. I love it. Yeah. Like it's, it, there's no replacing it. It's what, it's what drives me. And uh, I, I love the feel of a bite. Yeah. I, I think that's why you hear, you'll hear anglers, all groups of anglers say things like, oh, he's one of us. Or that person there is one of us. And mm -hmm. I've always wondered, like, what, what does one of us mean? But I think, I think when you really think about it, I mean, if you want to be a pro football player, that, that there's a bajillion kids that want to be a pro football player. That's an easy dream. But fishing for people like myself, yourself, and anybody in this industry, at some point in our life, we figured out that this isn't something we want to do. It's something we have to do almost yeah. in a way. And I feel like, you know, when you told the story about the Bill Dance picture, I had a freaking picture of Hank Parker with the classic trophy over his head in my locker in <laughs> high school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, but we're a, a group of weird people. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's an outsider yeah. kind of sport, but when we all come together, I think it's like all of a sudden you're like, wow, there's, there's other weirdos like me. There, there's more just like me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There, there's a bunch of us and uh, you know, that's, that's what keeps us all going, but we, we definitely all have the same disease. Yeah. And at times I'm sure it does feel like a disease. <laughs> so one of the things you just brought up a few minutes ago that I do want to follow back on, because nobody really talks about it, but you talked about your interaction with Skeet on the water, and that's the only kind of debate you've had on the water in your competition. Mm -hmm. The mental part of this game, it's a big, and what I mean is not so much trash talking, but the intimidation, the, the getting inside somebody's head. Was that something that you've experienced quite a bit, like, no, I, I don't think it – I think the, the the older guys, and I'm not even including Skeet and the older guys, but like Biffle, right, Denny Brower, those guys. I think that in their era, I think it worked to yeah. bully people. I think they could push people out of shallow water areas and keep them to themselves, which meant more fish. I think they both agree with me on that. I know them both pretty well, and they're both great guys. But I think that that intimidation factor they used in their advantage to, to bully um, – guys out and I, I think it worked but it doesn't work in this era the same way um i'll tell the skeet story i don't mind telling it at all it's a good story because i didn't figure out exactly what happened because i lost myself in the moment and it wasn't until i was driving home that i was like watching him on day four and he's he's winning the tournament and i was like that's what he was doing 
Um, I would love to ask him this. Uh, he probably doesn't even remember it. And and maybe maybe I'm giving him more credit than than he deserves. He might laugh and say that. I will say this before I tell a story. Skeet has always been, to me personally, for for there, there's some superstars in the sport, right? And he is definitely one of them. He is one of the very level, grounded, always polite to me, always generous, always thoughtful. Like uh, he was always very good to me. I always liked him. Of the superstars, yeah. he was definitely one of my more favorite ones. Not much arrogance to him. He 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 was a good dude. Now, with that being said, this was somewhere around 2009 or 10, and we had a tournament at Gunnersville. It was a summertime event, ledge fishing. And and by this point, I'd kind of started figuring out the TVA deal and, and had it going. I had a little place down by actually down by Van Dam where I'd started every morning. This was uh day two of the tournament, and then I had a place on up up there by Goose Pond, where like there was a bunch of guys lined up on that river channel. Bobby Lane was catching them real good right when at the south end of it. And then there was a group of about four or five guys. But then as you went on up, there was a there was an area up there that nobody was. And I had found a school up there and I pulled up on it on day two at like 1230. And I mean it was on. It was every cast and they were big ones. And I catch like I don't know that I caught it all there, but the majority of it came from there. And when I get to weigh in, I've got like 26 or 27 pounds, you know, this was a big bag. Now, yeah, it was in the top two or three bags of the day. Now this is, this is my afterthought. Okay. As I'm in that bag line, uh, Skeet is in the bag line with me and he's got like 29 and he's already leading the event before he caught this 29 pound bag. And so we're talking, you know, and he's like, damn homie, that's a, that's a big bag. And, you know, we're, we're chit-chatting and stuff. And, and, and I had seen him that day. I'd seen him twice. Both times I saw him, he's on the, so if you're going up river, he's on the right-hand side. Both times I saw him and both times I saw him, he was in the same area on the right-hand side. Never saw him on the left at all. Not, not in that flotilla with Bobby Lane all the way up to me. Never saw him. He was always across the river and down the river. Day three comes. I start on my little place down by takeoff and I fish around and about 12 o'clock, I'm like, Hey, I don't want to miss that window. If they're going to buy it at 12, 1230, I want to be there. So I run up and as I run up, I pass skied over on the right, right where I'd seen him for two days, Bobby Lane, the whole flotilla. And I run right up there to my spot and I stop about a hundred yards shy and I'm, I'm cranking and I'm going down it. And, uh, I hadn't been there three casts and I hear a boat running hard. <laughs> it's skeet. And he comes right up, comes off pad, you know, just like right next to me. Boats are boat rail to boat rail. And he's pissed that I'm fishing here. He's like, Hey, you hadn't been here. And I'm like, yeah, I have. I've been here. This is my third day here, you know? And he's like, no, I haven't seen you here. You haven't been here at all. You, you don't. And I forget the, the, the way he goes off about it, but I'm standing up for myself at this point. I'm like, look, dude, I've been here for three days. That school of fish is about 50 yards right in front of me, and you're not pulling in there and throwing on them. You go the hell on. And he leaves. I pull up there, and guess what? 50 yards. Dink, 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 dink. Catch them, right? Not as big as the first day, but caught them pretty good. I end up finishing the event. This is on day three. Come in, and I don't know where I finish, you know, somewhere in the top 25, but not, not the top 10 to go on the last day. And and it had me all puzzled, like, you know, I'm feeling like I was attacked and like, why 
has he been here? I was thinking all this stuff. How could I have been fishing the same place he was and never saw him there? Because I'd seen him. That yellow boat sticks out. Yeah. And he was always on the other side of the river. The next day when I'm driving home and he's crushing them again on TV, I'm thinking to myself as he's fishing that spot, because he, he went over there and fished that spot on, TV, on live, I'm thinking that was a strategy deal. He 100% already had 27 or 28 pounds in the boat that morning. He knows he needs more fish for day four. Here goes Holman up the river, and I know he caught him yesterday. He pulls in next to me, and then I just told him they're 50 yards in front of me. And Gave him the exact. Out. All he's got to do the next day is pull right in where he pulled out, push trail motor down, start casting, and boom, 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 boom. Now, was he that mentally savvy? That's 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 strong if he is. Yeah, and I don't I honestly it's weird. People, you know, obviously you want things to be, I mean, it's competition. You know what I mean? In every other sport, it's celebrated. The person who finishes the hit, the person that, but for whatever reason in pro fishing, people are like, oh yeah, you can't. I mean, do you think if that is exactly what Skeet did, do you think in your head, is that wrong or is that just? Well, you know, in my mind, I couldn't reason it on the water. Like I thought I had, yeah. you know, like somehow we're having this confrontation and I don't know how. It wasn't until I was driving home and then it hit me. Dude, if you had 20, because whatever he weighed in that day, 27, 28, a big bag. If he'd have caught that at nine o'clock in the morning, he's already, you know, your wheels are already spinning on day four. And you're thinking, what else have I got? Where else can I go? And then here comes Hallman up the river who you just saw his bag yesterday. If he doesn't make the cut. But I mean, hell, how do you even know if it's one of those places or not? But it was, it was, it was the spot. Um, I don't know. As good as that spot was, maybe he was fishing it and we just had never seen each other there at the same time. And that may be his answer. That's why I said I'd like to have I'd like to have him on this podcast right now. Either A, he won't even remember it, or B, he knows exactly and it was a spot he was fishing. Or C, he really was playing that good of a mental game. I'll tell you what, if he was playing that good of a mental game, he is on a whole nother level for sure. I think it happens. And I think I mean, I think even if it's not as thought through as you think, but it's like you know, by going up and saying, what are you doing here? You're also, even if you make the top 10, now you got a green light to be like, Hey, he's going to be, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, honestly, he knows, that. but yeah, it, you know, I, you see that all the time where people will roll up on somebody and be like, you weren't here, but you know, the day before. And they say, yes, I was, well, I didn't see you here. Well, now you know that Hey, I would I would never I do shot that, to though, go back if, if it was a place that I hadn't been. Um, like I said, maybe I'm giving too much credit to it. It, it, it very well made a place that we were both fishing, and we just hadn't seen each other there, and it took three days to finally run into each other. But I don't know how, because I promise you on day two when I caught that bag off of it, I know that I passed him coming up the river, and he's about a mile down the river on the other side of the, the entire other side of the river. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know how that happened, but anyway. The uh the the trials and errors of pro bass fishing, I guess. Dude, I've seen some stuff on the water that and it, Kevin really never even admits to it. He just gives me like his signature wink uh every once in a while. But th- the last year I didn't work for bass at the classic. I was covering the classic for doing these twit vid things that I was doing at the time. And um 
that's when it was in um that's when they were all in that one uh where was it i'm trying to remember was it lay lake when they were all in the same it was like a golf tournament everybody was fishing in that one area you know what i mean but they couldn't see each other but they were all as close so you could hear like flotillas and stuff so i mm-hmm. obviously start that morning i'm gonna follow kvd and i'm up on the bridge with everyone and i watch kvd a few minutes into it he catches you know a four pounder and that's when creek got second to him yep and and, and there's a mental battle right there between those two you know what i mean yeah but so kevin catches a three and a half four pounder everybody on the bridge and all the flotilla screaming they scream and then you know he goes back to fishing and i'm thinking the whole time oh crete's gotta hear that up there and you would hear other people you know ike was in there ike's flotilla kind of went off at one point but i just kept thinking about crete because all the pressure was on crete you know in that day well we're he's fishing for another few minutes he does not catch another bass but he looks at the bridge and he goes and the flow and they all go he did it like three more times before he actually caught another bass but you can imagine if you're crete that whole time you're like just the the 100 builds on your shoulders i think that kind of stuff is genius you know like it's maybe not if you're jeff crete but it, it is i think i think we don't talk about it in fishing because of for whatever reason you know what i mean like people think that it's a different but you know you watch football you watch nascar you watch like watch that formula one documentary i don't know if you've watched that but some Mm -hmm. of the stuff that happens in that is mind-blowing like you got crew chiefs who literally protest teams knowing that they're going to lose the protest but i'm going to make that guy waste four hours of time proving that they're not cheating and get his mind over it's it happens in every sport but in fishing we kind of try to keep it to a higher level or something yeah, and I'm I'm probably wired more like that too, because I, to me, like the racing guys, I mean, dude, they're all borderline cheating. Yeah, um, I've heard one of the, maybe maybe one of the guys on here, fighter, somebody said the guys that read the rules are the guys cheating. And yeah, I, that is I, fighter. I agree with that statement a lot. There's a there's a lot of truth in that statement, and if you don't understand what we're talking about there, it's guys looking for the gray. They're yeah. looking for the places where this rule doesn't exactly say this. Dude, you're just looking for a damn place to cheat. You know what I mean? But I understand life's not black and white. And I'm a black and white guy. I like to see it in black and white. And I know it's not. Listen, I'm married to an attorney. They go to school and train them to live in the gray. That's 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 how they 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 operate. So um, but me, I like right and wrong. I like the good guy in the white hat, the bad guy in the black cowboy hat. Yeah. So what's the ultimate goal? I um my ultimate goal. This, this is my dream scenario. I have no, I do know this. I don't want to do this until I'm 60. I don't want to be fishing team tar- or pro tournaments uh, traveling the country at 60 years old. I want to do this for, I'm, I'm 48 right now, 10 more years, seven, eight years. Um, I would like to win a couple of blue trophies in that time frame, and I'd like a shot at the classic. If I could win a couple of blue trophies and had a shot at winning the classic, Dave, I might take my jersey off and drop it on that floor and never fish another tournament the rest of my life. That's the truth. Wow. You think you really could do that? Like to say that now is one thing. 
Yeah. But let, let's say, you know, along the way, you win a couple of blue trophies. Then you make, mm -hmm. the, you know, make yeah. a few classics. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're about to win the Bassmaster Classic. Do you really looking, think you could walk away? Man, I know the other things I really want to do in my life. And it it's spend time with my wife and retirement. And um, we would really like to go down to the coast. I'd like to be down. She and I both would like to go down to the Texas coast, all the way down south, you know, uh, Corpus Christi, Port Aransas. Um, I can get up real easy and go catch a couple of redfish and come back at 11 o'clock and put them on a grill and have a beer and enjoy spending time with her and the kids and the family. Um, of course, they're going to be grown by then, but because uh, I've got four now, not even three. We, we've added another to the, so I've got a seven-year-old in the house. But uh, yeah, I've got other things that I want to do in life, and I, I, I don't want to be a tournament fisherman. Uh, I've, I've done that most of my life. I've traveled around. I've been to the best lakes in the country. I've competed against the very best fishermen in the world. Many, many of them, I call them my very good friends. And uh, I've been very blessed in that aspect. Got to work with guys like yourself. I'm looking very forward to this opportunity again. And uh, all you people at Bass, and there's a lot of new people there. And, uh, you know, this is what I love and what I want to do, but it's not what I want to do as an old man. If you had to break it up in percentages, how much of how much of this goal, this drive, is being driven by in your heart, just you, nobody else matters. It's just you want to accomplish it, and how much of it is to be to show the world that man, I can do this. It's one hundred and ten percent me. It's it's from the dream of when I was little. I started on this. It's been hard. I want to I want to finish it. I want to be able to say I did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be able to say I did it. And I want to, I don't want my name to be in the also rands. You know what I mean? There's a lot yeah. of also rands in every sport and there's nothing wrong with it. We all got to have Van Dam's got to have a lot of people to beat to be Van Dam. And I'm never going to be Van Dam. But dude, if I could get a couple of blue trophies to go with those two black ones behind me and possibly a classic trophy, there isn't very many men walking this planet with those kind hardware around and it's for me it's not for anything else it's it's for me it's what makes me feel good when i walk in at the end of the day that i didn't waste all that time away from my children and my family because dude we've made a lot of sacrifices to do yeah. this for a living a lot we miss a lot you know all about it yeah too much yep um do you do you think i mean while you're saying that i'm just like do you even realize how rare it is like the world is full of people who took a shot and and they sit in a rocking chair somewhere, Port Aransas or some beautiful place that they, if they're lucky enough to go and retire, and they look back as maybe as bitter as you were mm -hmm. in 2011. They blame Bass never gave me the love. This never happened. I never played the game. But for you to overcome as much as you've overcome to be where you are today, I mean, I. I'd say that that puts you in a very, very rare group of humans on earth. I have a very, very rare family, rare wife, rare children. Like I've, I've got a rare family and they've been behind me the whole way and they've kept me going. Like I said, she said, don't sell that boat. Just shut the garage. That's very rare. Cause yeah, I mean, just put, let us know in the comments how many of you have been told to sell your boat <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's right that's right 
And I don't know that I'll accomplish all those things at all. I'm, I, I may finish a uh, hundredth uh, in the points the, the first two years back. Cause I, I realized that, you know, that mountain that I had to climb through the opens um, and I'm honest about this dude, that that's the hardest gauntlet that I've ever gone oh, through yeah. for bass fishing. Um, but I'm walking into another one. I'm one of my very best friends sent me a text as soon as I qualified his text said, I know you're happy that you climb that mountain, but that ain't the mountain you set out to climb. There's another one bigger. <laughs> and I was like, he's right. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I don't know what'll happen. I may be kicked out in two years and that's fine. But at least if I go down my way, doing as hard as I can, I'm going to go down with a smile on my face. Yeah. That's, that's 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 a new thing. And I don't know who I heard say it or if I thought of it on my own, but dude, you know this to be true. You've stood on that stage many times and seen many anglers. A man without a smile on his face catches few fish. It's the truth. And you right. see it like you've seen it, you've lived it, but mm -hmm. I watch it happen. And in the, either the biggest pressure that you see in the elite series is never the guy who finishes second. It's a dude who literally knows that snowball is rolling and, you know, two years a rookie gets. So mm -hmm. your first year, you, you have a tough year. Well, you come back the second year and it's really up to those first two or three events because after the third event, if it's not going your way, you just see people stop talking. The anglers, like as the season gets down, the anglers stop talking to that person because yeah. it's almost like dead man walking. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just a weird. Yeah. It's it's just a wild thing. But but I think what stands out to me for you, like you've said a few times, I'm not Kevin Van Dam. I'm not Skeet Reese. I'm not. I'm not. You're not. Fished enough. I know I'm not. I know well, I'm not. I'm not Jason. I wasn't Jason when we were all here in, in Oklahoma. I know how special those guys are. I've roomed with them. I've been in the boat with them. I've watched them fish. Dude, I got in the boat with Scott Martin to film the show here in Oklahoma. It didn't take me one hour. One hour. Dude, I fish with all kinds of people. Usually, like, it, it's a no-brainer. I'm a better fisherman than them. One hour with Scott. I didn't take that. And I was like, this dude's on a different level. Scott Martin is on a different level, period. I don't care what anybody says. Different level. Jason Christie, whole different level. Different level. But I think you are, too, in, in this way. Their way is a lot more evident in the way that, you know, accomplished based, but dude, I don't know that. And maybe they could 10 times over, but I don't know that you, any of those anglers and they don't know it because they haven't lived it. But like, if you look at Kevin Van Dam's career, he never had to overcome the obstacles that you did. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Literally his first tournament, I think he finished 194th and the next year he won angler of the year. Yeah. yeah, and the you, you know what I mean? Like, the, there's so that has here, to make here's, you... here's a coin phrase that I think of from time to time, and I'm friends with Ike, I am, but I think of him and his most famous quote, screaming, Never give up. And uh -huh. all I can think of is there he is, 24, five years old, wet behind the ears, screaming, Never give up. And I'm thinking, dude, you don't have the first damn clue what you're screaming at that point, what giving up is like, come walk on my road for a while, you know. See if you're still fishing. No, and I don't mean that in any negative no. way. No, but yeah. And the ironic thing about that whole never give up line, and I think it's what like we all see the never give up from the outside. And and I mean, if you read his book, he was about to give up. Like that yeah. was it. It was yeah. over. So yeah, he was. I think when I screamed that, 
And I've never asked him this. I should ask him this because I feel like never give up meant a lot more. Like almost he was realizing it while Mm -hmm. he was screaming it. You know what I mean? It wasn't just people think it outside. It's never give up fishing that day. He was literally this close to being Mm -hmm. like, I'm done with this sport. Yeah. I'm like you. I'm a huge fan too. Um, And I always have been of the sport. So like that book I've read, I've read every book that I I, I thought, um, and I don't know why I just went blank for a second. I, I've read all those books, all of them. Um, why have I gone blank? Uh, Floridian, sight fisherman, Hall of Famer. Uh, Shaw Grigsby. Shaw Grigsby. There you go. I thought that his book was probably the best one that I'd ever read. The relationship with him and his father. There was a lot to that book more than just fishing. But mm-hmm. I thought it was I thought it was incredible. When I was on the Elite Series, I made sure that I brought it and had him autograph it for me. Yeah. Awesome. Charles an incredible person to this day. I mean, I'm just amazed at him being able to be the person that he is today with everything he's got going on and has accomplished. And Mm -hmm. he just loves to fish. But like I said, I've always been a huge fan as much as I love fishing. I'm also a huge fan of the sport. So I follow everybody. I know quite a bit about them. I spent a lot of time this off season. Um, following up on a lot of guys I'm going to be competing against just so I kind of know who they are, what their strengths are, what they, what they like, how they think, you know, I've really paid a lot of attention to that because there's a lot of these guys that I don't know. And uh, I know that there's, there's been times in my career where this happens as you get older, when you're young, you know, who everybody is, you know, who every boat is, you know, and as you get older, you don't know anybody. You're like, you just know the four or five guys that you run around. Like, you don't know who people's boats are. And that aggravates me now, you know, because I look back and I'm like, I need to know who all that stuff is. I need to know it for competitive reasons, right? Not that you're going to go whole shot somebody, but if I'm in the area where first, second, third are, I don't want to have to figure that out on the third day. I'd like to know after day one, hey, that's a pretty good area. You probably ought to stay put in there, you know? Um, But that comes with age. And I don't know why, Dave. I don't. But it does, and it happens to a lot of older anglers. I think it's just because you have more stuff in your life. Like when you're young, it's all fishing. That's every, but now you have four kids, yep. four birthdays, four the pressure of missing things, the pressure of games that you try to get back, like all of that. I, and you're just getting older, I guess. I don't, I, I yeah. don't know. It's. Uh, I just don't think they're as dialed in. I think that's what happens is they're not as dialed into their craft as they once were when they were young. That's all they studied. And then as they got older, I don't want to go down that route, but I was going to say part of, part of what happened in all this changeover with everybody, there's, 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 there's a lot of guys that look at a lot of people and they're like, they don't know their name because they haven't been paying attention. And they all think, well, you know, I'm the greatest anglers of all time or whatever. And I'm thinking, dude, I've been competing against this bunch and that bunch and against y'all. And I'm telling you, you know, uh, Dakota Ebear is going to come whip your ass. And Dakota yeah. Ebear is. Um, I knew that, that a lot of those guys existed, you know. Um, I was aware of the Johnstons, which a lot of people were, but I was aware of Gussie. And um, I, I fished against all those guys. I know how extremely talented and crafted they are and they're all extremely good so it's going to be a fun challenge coming back into the elite series because i'm pretty sure they're probably quite a bit better than the last time i fished against them and 
what when you mention these anglers that are standout, you you fish with Scott Martin for an hour mm-hmm. and you knew. Yeah. Is there a trait that they have or is it just it's it's examples of things that happen on the water that don't normally happen or that I don't catch that they catch that other guys would never. So uh the Jason story, um, Jason and I, I think we're down on we won't even get into where we were because that won't matter because it's an Oklahoma deal. Neither one of us want to give that up. All right. <laughs> but we had gotten back into a creek and it was it was about this time of year. It was February, wintertime in Oklahoma. And we'd gotten back into a creek and we were fishing and uh we were coming back out. We'd already fished our way in and we were coming back out, both of us standing on the front deck. And he threw spinnerbait up in this little bend in the river creek and he caught one. It was like a 10 incher and we hadn't caught anything in a while. We hadn't had any bites and, but it was like a 10 inch bass is all it was. And I didn't think much about it other than, Hey, finally got a bite. And he said, I'll never forget. He said, if that one's there, there's a whole bunch of them there. And I was like, what? And he's like, dude, I guarantee it. He went on past, turned the boat around, put the spinnerbait up, got in his rod box, pulled out a jerkbait, and went to slaying them. I was like, I just, I just sit there and watched. I was like, how did you know that? And he's like, man, I've just seen it before, you know, in that bend, it's a little deeper. He said, I didn't see him on the graph or anything. I just, I had that feeling like if that one was there, there's a whole bunch there. Which I, I I get that, you know. I mean, it's a winter time and they they got yeah. a little deep and they were grouped up, but man, he just instantly, you know, yeah, picked it up. Um, Scott story with him when I knew we were gonna film, we just fished an FLW tour event at Grand, and uh, I'd done pretty well in it. And and he wanted to film with me in Oklahoma and he wanted to know where we could go. And I was like, let's go to Arbuckle. Arbuckle's where they catch 13 and 14 pounders. And so this buddy of mine, you know how the story works because you got a TV show. So you know exactly this story. Your buddy that's from the lake, you know, that knows it. He's there the day before and he's like, dude, they're biting on every damn point. Doesn't matter. Just throw a jig up there. You catch them. You know the drill, right? You've yeah. heard this. <laughs> and you know what happens when you show up the next day, right? Yes. <laughs> All too well. <laughs> no bites. And so like, I'm not sweating it because my, one of my best friends, Bronson's been down. He lives on the lake all the time. He's there every day. And he's like, dude, they're biting so good. Y'all be able to make a show. No problem. Well, it's nine o'clock in the morning and we hadn't had a bite. And Scott's kind of, you know, cause I'm not a TV guy. I don't know. And Scott's like, Hey dude, we really need to catch a couple of fish before the sun gets up. Cause it looks bad on the show. If we catch them all with like high sun, like you got like a really good spot we can go to. And I'm like, I got one spot that's like, this is where I would go to if I had to catch one bass. So we go to it. It's a hump. It's got a brush pile on it. It's an offshore deal. And we pull up there. And he's got, this is 2019. So it's panoptics. It's not live yeah. scope. And we're up there and we're throwing at this brush pile. And he's looking at it on panoptics. And he's like, dude, I don't even see anything up there on this hump. And I'm like, I don't know. And, and he, he takes it like, like it's to the right where we're throwing. It's not a very big hunt and we're out in the middle of the lake and he takes his trolling motor and he fans and he goes all the way out there to the middle of the lake on the left. And he goes, and I, I, I wasn't paying attention to what he's doing. I'm still firing up there at that pile. And he goes, you think those are bass? And I look up and he's looking down and I see two blobs sitting out over probably 50 foot of water, but they're 10 foot deep. And I was like, I don't know. And 
He reaches down, pulls the spinning rod out of the rod box with a wacky worm on it, hits them right on the head, and you can see the worm falling. And as soon as I see the worm, I'm sitting there thinking they're probably carp. And then I see one go look up, and I was like, holy shit, they're bass. Five-pounder. He catches them both. And I was like, okay, he's on a different level. Like, just instantly <laughs> I knew, because I, I would never have, have spun out there and caught those fish. Now, that was in 2019. I don't know that I would do it in 2023, but I got a lot better chance of that happening in 2023. But, uh, yeah, he was he was already dialed in. I think it's not even, you know, when you tell those stories, the stuff that I've seen, it's not even just what somebody says. It's the difference than when I'm like, I catch one, and I'm like, well, let's go get a bunch more. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping we're going to get a bunch more. Like, yeah. I've seen Kevin, I've seen Aaron, I've seen a lot, like Jason, Chris, I've seen them make decisions. And the way they make the decision is so much faster, so much crisper, and so much more certain. Like when he said to you, if that one's there, there'll be a bunch more. Yeah. He wasn't just saying that and hoping. Right. He really believed in. He knew. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. So how different are you today as an angler versus the last time you were here? I knew this question was going to come up. I did. I thought about this one too. Um, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day and and uh, I wanted to be able to answer this and not, because I don't want it to sound arrogant or anything like that. Because like I said, I may be out of there in two years and finish a hundred in the points two years in a row. And that very well could happen. But like, when I jumped off into the opens three years ago, right here, here this is kind of how I equate it. I knew it was going to be a rough battle and I knew that I, you know, it might take me, I told my wife, it might take two or three years to get this done. And it did. Um, but I never, when they called boat numbers and I went to fish the opens, I never felt like I didn't belong or I couldn't compete at this level or that I couldn't accomplish my goals my first time and anybody's first time would be this way. Anybody's for the most part. Um, some guys probably maybe not Paul Nick. I remember his rookie year. I don't, I don't think he thought this way. He was pretty confident, but um, most people, most men would be a little bit hesitant. Do yeah. I belong here? Can I compete? Um, you know, I, I don't feel that way coming in on the elite series this year, you know, and I definitely felt that in 06. Now, like I said, I'm not saying that with any kind of arrogance, those guys may skull drag me across the entire United States, but I don't feel that way. And I won't feel that way no matter what, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. So I would say that's probably the biggest difference. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And and I think that over more and more, the more we talk and, and I, I honestly believe it. You said, you know, somebody with smile that smile on their face catches yeah. more fish, whatever yeah. way you want to spin it. Yeah. It is so true though. Like if you believe, well, Paul Nick has, you know, from his first angler of the year, he had a line and it stands out to me to this day. He was like, I wake up some mornings and I, I just know I'm going to catch them. Yeah. He said, then I, I wake up other mornings and I know I'm not going to catch them. And he said, you know what? I'm right. 95% of the time. And it's mm-hmm. true. It's not because he doesn't think he's not going to catch them because he didn't find them or whatever. It's just like, you need to be in the right space and, I think it's one of the things that makes tournament fishing even a little more evil than other sports. Like, you know, if you take the pitcher hitter relationship, 
you got a young pitcher. He's making league minimum. And mm -hmm. he's against the best hitter in the league that's making yep. $25 million. Yeah. E even the a huge disparity between those two. But the dude on the mound doesn't, money never comes into it. You know what yeah. I mean? He's, yeah. he's still making more than 99% of the people he went to school with. Yeah. He's just focused and striking them out. But in fishing, it's that you start fishing for checks. You start, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not even fair almost in some ways. We could talk for hours. Um, Kevin, Kevin said this once and and when I was on the Elite Series, and and he may have even said it on camera, but they were basically getting to his top tens. And he's like, Look, dude, over half this field are check cash, you know, check chasers. And I, I know what he's talking about because I was chasing checks. And the majority of the guys that I talked to, and you probably, I guarantee you, the Elite Series has not changed in this aspect. The talk of the town. We, I guess you guys don't have meetings anymore, so that's kind of changed since since. But, yeah, but you get the gist. At the meeting, the talk of the town was always, "What's the what's the what's cut going to be <laughs> for fiftieth place?" Right? Is that yeah. not the talk of the town? Yeah, I promise you that was never Kevin's concern coming to a no. meeting or into an tournament. The least of his concern. Um, that's the least of Jason's concerns, least of Polynesian's concerns, Hackney's concerns. Those guys don't care. That's not what they're there for. I, I've had a veteran pro who's accomplished everything there is to accomplish in this port. And he, he says to me, one of the worst things that happened to tournament fishing in his mind is $10,000 for 50th place. He said, mm -hmm. when they fished before that, it was a whole different mindset. He said, but as soon as that started being a thing, and as soon as that started being a marker that like, I'm successful, if I'm here, he said, the anglers are different now. And, and he, you know, that, that was his ultimate point. He's like, you know, you're only really fishing in a lot of situations against 25% of the field, because mm -hmm. if you're fishing for 50th, so, yeah. so you're going to try to win every one, correct? No, 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 no. I'm going to take what I learned <laughs> in the opens. I want to make, I want to make the classic. just like everybody says, I'm going to have practices that I, I know that it's not going to happen this week. And I want to try to take swindle and some of those guys approaches where 60th place is where I'm trying to finish. That's my goal. Can I get to 60th, 65th, you know, just anything that's not 80s or worse, right? Because, yeah, no, definitely those are the mistakes that I've made my entire career. I think that was part of my my road that was meant for me to take in the opens to learn that uh, this late in my career, and I've learned it. And um, I'm not ashamed to hold a spinning rod if I have to, to to get some bites. Now, it's not what I want to do. Look, man, there's, there's, there's some really cool things about the Elite Series this year. One, I would tell you, if you if you tell the guy, the, the experienced angler you're telling me, this is the worst thing I ever happened, $10,000 checks, I'd tell him to come talk to me. Because if he walked three years of what I just walked, he'd kill for one of them $10,000 checks in the opens because they yeah. don't exist. <laughs> so I'm all about the $10,000 checks. Um, but I lost track on that. I was going to go down a great road. Oh, uh, where I've been and what I've been going through, this will be the smallest field that I've competed against in over a decade. Wow. Yeah. And I noticed that John Cruz had just done an article and he was talking about how big this field was going to be, you know, it's going to take up more places on the lake. And dude, I'm thinking we're going to the best lakes in the country. I've been on the worst lakes in the country at the worst times. We're going to some of the best lakes in the country at the best times, you know, um, smallest field that I've ever competed against giant fish. Um, I'm not a Northern guy. God, I wish I had your knowledge. I would have, like, I would love to have your knowledge and be able to, fish this entire season, but at least we're going to the three of the very best smallmouth places in the entire country. You know, you know what my knowledge got me? 
I became a tournament MC. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're one of the you're the best MC, so at least well, you got that covered. Well, thank you. Um, th- there's got to be a freedom too with with. I mean, not only is the smallest field, but you've got nobody on the back deck trying to cast at the same fish you're trying to catch. Another bonus. Another yeah. bonus. Another bonus. And uh, you know. I have fished my entire life. I've, I've kind of always stayed in touch with the regional stuff. I've always dabbled in it and fished a lot here in Oklahoma and Texas. I've got some really good friends in Arkansas, Missouri. And so I've always dabbled in that. So I never really got out of touch of having co-anglers. I actually noticed, I told Jason this years and years ago when I was on the Elite Series and he was on the FLW, I had gone and fished a BFL or something at Grand in like 2010 or 11. I had a co-angler just start smoking on me. And I'd been in the Elite Series for six years without co-anglers and i was like dude what is happening over here is that we are getting softer yeah where the flw tour guys had those dang professional co-anglers in the back of the boat that would show you how bad you sucked and i was like you guys are staying stronger those guys are keeping you on their toes dude i still believe in this like i know it doesn't exist now at any tour at any level but it made those guys stronger so like when you saw that big movement over time where Ayler and all those guys were coming over. I was thinking, I knew, I already knew because I'd experienced both sides. I was like, them boys right there are coming to play because they've had that in the back of their boat. And yeah. uh, that's, a, that's a whole nother element that you have to learn to deal with. It's funny. Cause I always look at FLW and I've never thought about it from that angle, which I totally believe when you're saying it, but I look at FLW and I'm like the team deals screwed a lot of those guys long-term like mm-hmm. if you look at it, it not from competition it's a great deal but all those team deals and if you go for not chasing sponsors for 15 years of your life mm-hmm. because you're part of a team if you look at there's very few anglers that were bounded from that you know what yeah. i mean that that built a big sponsorship base that, that that anglers with their resume so it's it's pretty wild when you look at stuff like that but uh I'm excited to have you on the Elite Series, dude. I mean, I love watching. To me, what makes every victory special is 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 the climb. It's the you know, it's yeah, it's absolutely. getting there. It's, absolutely. Um, and and I think, I think what you probably downplay and have through this podcast is, dude, you're going to have a whole horde of people that look at you and they're like, man. He didn't give up on it. And I'm not, you know what I mean? There's a lot yeah. of every way in has somebody who is like, yeah, I used to fish the opens or I used to fish that. And I stopped doing it because of this. Yeah. Dude, I, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch it go down. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. Um, like I said, I'm really looking forward to it. There's a lot of positives. I see a million positives in front of me. I'm really glad to be where I am in life and the opportunity to, to fish with the best guys in the world. Let's get it on. Don't beat on me too bad. Don't beat on me too bad. Dude, I don't beat on anyone. I mean, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the anglers. I hope they don't beat on me too bad. I can't, I can't promise you that they are. Here's the weird thing about the anglers with getting younger. I've I've got this weird theory too. Like I'm like, it's almost everybody knows this generation's a little different. You know what I mean? Like when Mm -hmm. I was a little kid, if there was a fight happening down in the street and I'm talking like little kids just fighting. And a parent or somebody who looked like a parent, somebody with a suit or something pulled over, we would all scatter. Today's kids turn around and they're like, you can't do that to me. My dad, I'll sue you. Right. So I feel like you've got all these young guys that 
the testosterone is super high in them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're at the peak. They've got an advantage with electronics, but they also are missing that element of respect where, you know what I mean? Where yeah. you would have seen Denny Brower when you were first on the elites and oh, been yeah, like, oh, 100%. that's yeah. Denny Brower. Yeah. It, it's, uh, they're a, uh, they're, they're a group of assassins. Anybody going to intimidate you? You no. feel like, is there anyone you're like, no, not a single one. No, not a single one. Are you going to try and intimidate somebody? No, I'm not that way. I'm not that way at all. Neither no. Jason Christie. But you, you don't, you don't, you don't make it through as many years fishing as I have without a confrontation on the water. Like I don't try to intimidate anyone though. No. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. didn't happen by accident. There's probably a few that I probably should have. That other people would have had problems with, but somehow I figured out a way to work it out. Well, that seems to be your way. Somehow you figure out a way to do it, dude. Just, and, just uh, keep swinging that axe and hopefully that tree will fall. <laughs> well, I hope I'm there when it does to yell timber for you because yeah. uh, it's going to be pretty awesome. But um, thank you. Thanks for doing this, dude. Yeah, I mean, man. It's weird because most of the time I do a podcast with somebody, I know them really well. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and yeah. it, but uh, I've enjoyed this one because not only did I not know you that well, but I got to learn about you. And uh, I, I, it's going to be a fun year. I'm a big fan. Like I told you, I, I listen to all your stuff. I'm not going to let you get off here until we talk football. And I know that oh, wow. oh. I know that all the listeners hate anytime we talk about football. God, they like, get so mad. But dude, it's the Super Bowl and your team's in it. Uh huh. But by the time this airs, the Super Bowl will be over, and I'll either no? be. Are you going to air it before we start? Because I think is it Super Bowl weekend? When will it air? Will it no, air we, yeah, it airs on the Wednesday before we start the Elite Series, which is the Wednesday after the Super Bowl. Okay. So either right now I'm like styling and profiling because Patrick Mahomes and the <laughs> mighty Kansas City Chiefs took out the Eagles, or I am being trash talked by probably the most aggressive and angry sports fans on earth. Yeah. The Eagles fans. Yeah. Who who do you think? Throw it on well, the line. I, I'm not a – I mean, I watched NFL some. I'm a diehard college football fan, so we're the total opposite. Like, I know you're not a big college guy, but yeah. you're a huge NFL guy, and I'm massive. Like, I know way too much about a bunch of 18-year-old kids I should know about football. So, I, I, I kind of relate it all to who, how many Sooners are playing in the Super Bowl. And there's actually quite a few Oklahoma Sooners playing in the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, I can go either way. Um, I, I don't dislike Mahomes, but he did come from Taco Tech uh, down here, which I, I do not care for. But I have to thank Mahomes because if Mahomes wasn't at Taco Tech, we probably we probably never get uh, our quarterback from there. Um, I just went blank again. I do this all the time, Baker Mayfield, because he was there at Taco Tech with them, and then they wouldn't even give Baker a scholarship after playing for winning nine games for him as a freshman. They so he left, and we got him. So so I appreciate Mahomes for that. <laughs> But you got uh, your center. Your center's from Oklahoma. He grew up in Shawnee. Yeah, um, I knew yeah. that. He's one I of the best centers in the NFL, if yeah. not the best. Uh, I think your left tackle is from Oklahoma. So you, you got quite a few Sooners on, on on Kansas City, and I'm missing one or two. And then uh, the Eagles also. And then we fight over Alabama fans and Oklahoma fans. We fight over the Eagles quarterback of where yeah. he's really from. Um, but either way, Jalen's Jalen's. Jalen's going to be a lot for you to deal with because the problem in, in in playoff games, dude, is any NFL game, especially playoff games inside the red zone, it's hard to score. And the Eagles have a good defense, and then you put Jalen at quarterback inside the red zone, and 
they've got so many options. They're just they're harder to stop than any team in the NFL. Yeah, he's he's dangerous. It's I think it all comes down to I mean number one if the Chiefs don't get healthy. I mean, we had nobody like that to get here. I was amazed that, you know, that there's so many injured players, so they have to get healthy. Um, We're facing a team that had 70 sacks in the regular season, which is number two to the 1985 Chicago bears who had 72 Mm -hmm. sacks to let you know how scary that is. We have a quarterback who is in a physical condition that he probably doesn't want to get sacked very much. No. So, um, but here's what I will say, dude, I, I honestly, I really like the Eagles. Like I, the, the Eagles, like I like, I don't know if it was the tournament we did there, but I fell in love with, like, it was the closest to, it's the closest in history that Fishy never got to wrestling. I mean, the way that crowd was when we went to Philadelphia. So I met a lot of people and, and I love, I mean, Jason Kelsey's on there. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, of him and his brother's podcast. Um, so I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. The Andy Reid story, there's a lot of stuff, but I, I just really hope that, I mean, if the Chiefs lost, I'm going to be getting really trash-talked in the comments right now. Well, as long as you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've got a fighting chance. God, do we ever. He is, yeah. I call him St. Patrick because he is the patron saint of the can't Like, dude, I was a little kid. I like Joe Montana. This is how I became a Chiefs fan. I like Joe Montana. Right. And that was right when Joe Montana was kind of finishing his reign with like a lot of little kids, you go for the guy who's winning, you know, so yeah. he's finishing his yeah. reign with the Niners. Well, I followed Joe to the chiefs and I never left. And I seemed like a really bad decision for a really long time, but thank God St. Patrick has made it, um, in a whole different world. A whole different world. So it sounds like your family's home now. My uh, 18-year-old daughter, senior in high school, walked in with her big mannequin that she's doing for her art class that she's making dresses and outlandish outfits. Stuff that girls would have never worn to school in our day, but today it's okay. (laughs) We've talked fishing, we've talked football, and now we've talked fashion. I mean. We got it all covered. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. It, uh, it's going to be fun to watch go down, go Chiefs, and uh, I'll see you all season long. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it, Dave. Thanks so much for having me on, Bob. I appreciate no, it. No, no, dude, let's do this more because I, I honestly feel like, I mean, we got into some topics, but we can keep we can keep oh, yeah. going. I mean, we could. Easy. Easy. <laughs> there you have it, Bradley Hallman. And if that's not an inspirational story, I don't know what is. I mean, he literally thought he was done with tournament fishing, and here he is right back at the Bassmaster Elite Series. And I wish him luck. I think he's going to have a great season. I think his head's in the right place. Um, Everything is timing, and I think the time is right for Bradley Hallman. But speaking of timing, uh, the timing of this interview was a little off. So if you were confused by the fact that he was talking about a Super Bowl that already happened, We recorded the interview section of this show before the Super Bowl. With that in mind, it is time to officially talk about the Super Bowl and what a freaking Super Bowl it was. Um, High scoring, high test, just the battle that you always want. A lot of times goes to the Super Bowl and it gets a lot more defensive. You get a lot more nerves or whatever that plays into it but man it was a shootout the whole way through and um 
you know, all season long, people have taken great pride in chirping me about the Chiefs. I mean, for four months, the Buffalo Bills were going to be Super Bowl champions. I mean, it didn't matter. Oh, the Bills are going to win it. The Bills are going to win it. That didn't happen. That's why they play the games. Then after that, it was, well, <laughs> look out, because here comes Joe Burrow, the guy that you can never beat. He's going to come down and make Arrowhead Burrowhead. I said to you guys, that's why they play the games. It didn't happen. The Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl, and they play against a team that I honestly really like. A city that I really like. I mean, the greatest way in crowd for an elite series event is Philadelphia. The, the, the noise that the people in Philadelphia made, I mean, was the closest fishing's ever been to professional wrestling, which I really liked. But I also really like their team. I love Jason Kelsey. I love Hurts. I think that they, they're just a, a great team, and they'll be a great team for a long time. But their fans are relentless. And some of the things that you guys said to me the last week in comments and direct messages and stuff, and I responded always with one thing. That's why they play the games. And even at halftime of that game, while people were fixated on a baby-bumped Riri, which I don't even remember. That's how much of a disconnected fan I am. I can't tell you whether the halftime show was any good or not. Let me know in the comments because I was pacing, praying, um, fingers, toes, everything crossed that Patrick Mahomes could come back because it looked like that injury would have shut him down for the game. Lord knows what they did to him in that locker room, but thank God they have a good medical staff because he came out, and not only did he come out, the entire Kansas City Chiefs came out and dominated the second half of that game. And now they are not one, not two, but a three-time Super Bowl champion. And, man, that was a team performance. And um, But it starts with QB1. And I thank the good Lord and everybody who made it possible for St. Pa Patrick, the patron saint of the Kansas City Chiefs, to come into our life and turn our franchise around. But if you look at all of the things that people said, they said at the beginning of the season, the Chiefs are done. They trade away Tyreek Hill. They're fools. Sky Moore, Isaiah Pacheco, so many names. They're all rookies. That's who won the Super Bowl. It was a full team appearance, victory, and man, it was freaking awesome. And I get it. There's a bunch of you who cheer for other teams, and that's is cool. There's some of you don't even like football, and you're allowed to do that too. That's why this segment's at the very end of it. But I feel your hate. I get it. I mean, I know exactly what you're going through. Trust me. I hated the Patriots for years. But now, you're hating on Mahomes. And so you should. I mean, his career has just started. He is already a two-time MVP, a two-time Super Bowl MVP, a two-time Super Bowl champion, and he's made it to three of them. You might hate him, but I'll tell you what, I love him. I love that man, Patrick Mahomes, and I loved this year's Super Bowl. And I'm going to tell you, the, the Eagles ain't going anywhere. We're going to be battling for years to come. The Bengals ain't going anywhere. The Bills ain't going anywhere. 
There's a lot of great teams right now. If you're a football fan, it is a great, great time. And um, it might affect my job, to be honest. I mean, I'm probably showing up in Florida this week with a little raspier voice than I probably should have, but it wasn't my fault. It's the Chiefs' fault, and it was glorious. And so are you guys for watching this and putting up with my tomfoolery. Oh, I, I, I'll address the call. I mean, here's what I would say. I said it before. Refs have an incredibly tough job. We don't do a lot of things to make it easier on them. There were some bad calls in that game. The holding call at the end there, it was definitely holding. I mean, the player admitted that it was holding. Did it have to happen at that time? I can feel your pain on that. You know, you think with less than two minutes to go in the game that that's not going to be called. But you also can't just cheat and hope that it's not going to be called. Um, so I'm sure that pisses off some of you. And some of you say the NFL, they just love Mahomes. They love the Chiefs. And if they do, I'm thankful for it. Um, because trust me, for a lot of years, they didn't love us. Um, and that being said, if you look at the Eagles schedule, nobody had an easier route to the Super Bowl. The regular season schedule. And then their playoff schedule. I mean, so if the NFL, if there is some tomfoolery going on, if the NFL loves anybody, I'd say they love the Eagles too. But it, it's, it sucks. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a tournament, man. You get two finalists and one's going to lose. I mean, I could only imagine what it was like for Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey. You know, how weird is that? You know, you're consoling and congratulating at the same time. But um, that's why they play the games. Speaking of games, come see me in Okeechobee, unless you're full of hate and, and vinegar, and then relax, have a beverage, and then come see me. I'll see you next week. And uh, Bob Cop, take it away. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?